हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो एट दिस पॉइंट आई एम जस्ट रीडिंग द बायो एंड एवरीथिंग सो सो टुडे आई हैव विद मी अनीता पांडे She is a Montreal-based Kathak dancer and Hindustani vocalist. Her guru is Shrimati Urmila Sharma. She has performed over 50 times in the past two years, both nationally and internationally in India, sharing platforms with the top names in Kathak. She runs a successful school through her home studio, where she teaches both Kathak and Indian classical voice, grooming new dancers for the stage. Among numerous awards and career highlights. Anita was notably no, notably placed first in the Sangeet Natak Academy Kathak competition and recently was selected to present and learn from Pandita Shasudi Sen as part of the Sadhana series organized by Pratipa Arts in Toronto. As a choreographer, Anita has choreographed pure Kathak to western genres such as jazz, orchestra and disco funk. She has given lectures on Kathak for prestigious music schools in Montreal. including the Miguel Skulik School of Music and currently Anita is pursuing a mentorship under Kathak dancer Tanvir Alam and acquiring a new movement vocabulary Anita di how are you I'm doing well how are you I'm doing well and just to give the listeners some perspective I came across Anita di's work where I was seeing one of her videos where she's just talking about the responsibility Kathak dancers in the diaspora have when they talk about their art so could you tell us a little bit about your feelings on that matter yeah so the video that you are referring to what i was speaking about is it was based off of an incident that uh, i experienced on my way back from the dance studio one day so i stopped by essentially to buy dog treats and the owner of the store um he asked me He said, "Okay, so you're coming back from the dance studio. So what kind of dance form do you do?" I said, "Well, I do Kathak. It's an Indian classical dance form." So, um he seemed bothered by this and he was his response was to say was to really harp on the word classical. And um he said, "You mean so you mean it's not like filmy bollywood dance it's more traditional so i said yeah essentially it's it's classical dance um which you, to to me was just the normal term that we use for our dance form but he um he continued to question it and he said okay but it's not like ballet so here's where the um the issue lies for me is that uh being born and brought up in the west and pursuing uh indian classical voice for uh 15 years now i've been learning and uh, kathak more recently so um this constant reluctance to accept art forms which are not um of eurocentric origin as fitting under the designation of classical um this is something that is this is something that is quite often seen and um what in my experience from what i've seen even studying uh, classical music western classical music at mcgill is that there's a mentality 
that um, there is a hierarchy that has been instated, which places uh, Eurocentric dance forms, music forms at the top of that hierarchy. And then everything else is labeled as ethnic. And in their mind, which is ignorant in itself because Caucasian is also an ethnicity. But um, in their mind, ethnic is equivalent to inferior, which is inherently racist, you know, at the, at the core of it, if you want to, to go there. And um, so it's this refusal that these uh, denotations that they themselves have created, you know, of class traditional and whatnot that no you know a dance form from india cannot possibly classify under that label mm-hmm. okay uh, that is very interesting and, it, and i'm saying that because uh, that's a sentiment that's been echoed a few times on my podcast when uh shreya was here she, she's a dancer in spain pretty much like the biggest kathakar in say spain uh, she said they're, they're the same thing that they don't you don't get the first course she said she don't get the first course of the meal per se as ethnic and being classified ethnic dancers and we express similar sentiments and to bounce off of that uh, so when you find yourself in these spaces and this is something Tanvir had discussed I wanted to get your opinion on this as well when you find yourself in spaces where say you're maybe the only person of South Asian descent or you're the only person who does Kathak how do you carry yourself or what are the things you keep in mind? Yes, I think, um, in in my opinion, I think that you have a heightened responsibility and atmosphere such as that. And that's because uh, essentially what you said, that you're the only person representing that dance form. I've seen um, Tanvir actually one of the first times that I met him was during his performance. I remember he was performing um, in a show where he was the only Kathak dancer. And there were, there were um, I think, uh, Western contemporary African dancers and whatnot. So in that space, often, um, and I've performed in many spaces uh, such as this as well, where you're often performing to an audience who has never seen Kathak before. And oftentimes an audience who largely equates Indian dance with Bollywood dancing, simply because that's what's mainstream, that's what gets the most uh, exposure. So um, you're exposing them to Kathak, and in that sense, the audience is not going to understand that, okay, Tika, you know, this they're doing a substandard job of the dance form. They're simply going to see your performance and accept that this is Kathak. This is how, this is the extent of Kathak. So in spaces like that, um, I think it's even more important that we, you know, we work hard and we uphold our dance forms, you know, integrity. That bring, and that kind of makes me think a lot because when you say that, uh, when you have that heightened sense of awareness and you have, when you have people making some ignorant comments and things like that, it, I guess my first reaction is sometimes to get annoyed or, and, and maybe get a little angry. How do you deal with such, you know, such like impulsive reactions so that, you know, you don't come across the wrong way. Um, or if you have, if you face that in the first place, maybe you don't just let me know. Uh, no, I've definitely faced that. Um, also even in spaces such as McGill, 
um, where the music faculty is largely uh, white dominated. Usually spaces that are largely, uh, I mean, just, you know, they're white dominated spaces. And yeah, you often get uh, comments like that. So what I do, yeah, I just simply explain that uh, it's a classical, that there is a distinction that has been made. I didn't make that distinction, you know, and we all know that uh, Kathak has actually very humble roots. It's not that it was born in, the, you know, the high classes or something. But at this point in time, um, it has, it now fits in the designation of the classical form. So I simply explain that there's a distinction and how and why Kathak classifies as a classical form, the fact that it's um, you can attain, you know, a PhD in Kathak in India, that it's such a rich, you know, subject. And usually people don't say anything after that. That's fair. Because uh, the, re- the reason I'm asking you this is also there's a personal re- reason because uh, recently my gym owner has helped, uh, has a, like, he's allowed, he allows me to, to practice Kathak in his space, we do group activities there. So after the class, I put on my gungros and I do. It's a solid wooden floor and it's mirrors and there's no neighbors underground that I know of. So, oh, wow. uh, so yeah, perfect space for practicing. So I do that. But then all my friends who are hanging out after the gym, they're looking at me and then they ask. They start asking me questions. Nothing like bad. I just don't want. I just want to practice. But they're like, hey, will you give us lessons or what's going on and this and that? And then I'm like, I don't know. I, I just want to practice. But I want to help them understand as well. So it's it's interesting because I'm only a year into Qatar. So I'm not going to start teaching them or anything. So it's like, you know, I know this much, but it's fun sometimes. Lovely. I'm glad you have a practice space. That is true. I'm really glad for that. I always tell my, yeah, yeah, I, I always tell my gym owner, his name is Ron, that I'm really grateful that he's provided that for me. Because yeah. I, I have had one, my neighbor has complained. So I, I don't go full force. Because uh, like Tanvi sometimes asks me, "Hey, why why is your tatkar so soft?" I'm like, "I have reasons." Okay, <laughs> so that is a thing. Yeah, yeah. And since yeah, and the conflict, I guess that uh, since you talked about Kathak being confused in Bollywood, Kathak being confused with Bollywood, I think that's something that just doesn't happen just Western audiences. It happens to a certain extent in the South Asian diaspora and to a certain extent in India as well, because a lot of people are exposed to Kathak through Bollywood. So can you, uh, and to that, and that brings me to my next topic, could you tell us a little bit about what you feel about what's Kathak and what's Kathak fusion and what's in Bollywood? Um, yeah, so I think there's a opinion or an argument rather that in favor of uh, Bollywood fusion, that well, Bollywood just helps expose Kathak to the masses. Um, this argument, I particularly don't agree with <clears throat> because it's not that Bollywood is exposing Kathak to the masses. Bollywood is exposing a diluted version of the dance form to audiences who then accept this as being Kathak, which is similar to what I was speaking about um, earlier, what I think about fusion is I'm not, you know, extreme that I'm saying don't do fusion. I think if you do fusion, there's a way to do it in which the art form is, first of all, represented by a trained Kathak dancer. And then if you present the fusion, it should be correctly labeled that it is a fusion, not, you know, you're presenting it as as this is Kathak 
or wrongly labeling it or presenting the movements in a way that um, is not respectful uh, or not maintaining the integrity of the form. I also think that to me, what is the best kind of fusion is if you are maintaining the structure of the dance form. So as you mentioned, you know, in my bio that I've uh, choreographed Kathak to different genres of music. So in that case, what I have done is I've maintained the purity of the dance form, but the music is not Indian music. So in that sense, I haven't tampered with, you know, the, the general structure of Kathak. And another thing that I would add, which is a, a more serious aspect or downside to uh, this uh, argument of, oh, Bollywood just, you know, it exposes Kathak to the masses and this is great. I, I think it's not always quite so great because often people who are for this argument, um, they're speaking from a certain privilege in the sense that um, Kathak is majorly viewed in two opposing ways. You know, there's the view that you're a classical dancer, so you're a cultural ambassador and you're the, you know, you embody Indian uh, sanskar, Indian Sanskriti. And there's another side to that, which is the stigma, you know, that the more derogatory terms that are still used today, um, you know, like the Nachnevali, or um, I don't know if you've heard, uh, you know, Nachanya Gavaya, these kind of, especially in Yupi, um, slangs, uh, slang words and derogatory terms for dancers. And this Mindset. Uh, Anita, I had a uh, real, real uh, quick question about that. So I've heard about Nashnevali and all that in the concept of uh, context of Kathak in Pakistan, but not outside of that in India or maybe in Canada. Maybe. Could you tell us a little bit about where you've faced that? Because I've only heard about it in Pakistan particularly, but I would like to know where else it's used like, in your okay. experience. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, no, in Canada, I have not heard it, but in UP... Mm-hmm. Uh, where my family is from, uh, it's very, very prevalent. And that's where I've received all of my uh, training in Kathak. So, oh. uh, yeah. So, Lucknow, that's interesting. Okay. I received all my training in Allahabad. My guru lives in Allahabad. Okay. And yeah, and my family okay. is also from there. So I've grown up in that mindset. And um, I've spent a lot of time in mm. Allahabad. Okay, interesting. Cause yeah, cause Lucknow, the, yeah, the, arguably the biggest grand Kathak is Lucknow, and you've been in Allahabad. It's very interesting to hear that, even in the you know in the heart, where, arguably where the heart of Kathak is, it's a Delhi, that you face that. Um, yeah. So, so is that like a statewide thing, or you you is it more like your city thing, or what have you? What has your experience been? No, no, it's largely a statewide thing. See, in in the thing is that. Um, Although it's the birthplace of Kathak, uh, it's more conservative thinking. So uh, I don't even want to say conservative, but you know, it's it's a very closed-minded uh, way of thinking. So, so my uh, my guru faced a lot of this issue from her parents, uh, from her husband. Um, she really faced, and ex- ex- specifically this term of Nachnevali that she has called, you know, by clo- people close to her. And um, 
there's also a quite a prevalent a prevalency of okay if you're going to be married you know okay you have it's essentially bragging rights that my bahu she knows kathak she's trained in kathak but shaadi ke baad you're not allowed to dance you have to stop and um i myself have faced this uh in the same capacity you know as from 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 my family and other you know uh relations and uh even to the extent that i've heard from my teachers of the other fields of music that i learned from that you know kathak is not considered uh decent in our state because kathak mein ang pradarshan hota hai which it doesn't even make sense <laughs> you know because we're the costume is quite modest in uh, in kathak very modest actually so um all all these kinds of things when you mentioned it i i've actually had some guests who been kind of career say teachers and they they didn't go into performances because the obstacles faced in front of them they they went on to become remarkable teachers but yeah that is a something they couldn't do because of their Uh, circumstances so that is sad that still happens uh and but you mentioned a little bit about the costume so i'd love, like to t- talk about that next um because that's something we said we discussed could you tell us a little bit about what uh, your feelings about the costume of kathak and how it affects your dance yeah so um see i think this is just my opinion i think many dancers they have different styles and uh, different vibe when they dance and <clears throat> because of that they prefer certain uh, costumes so this is just my opinion that um i find that the traditional costume of kathak in the sense of um you know the lehenga and then the dupatta and the belt and what not i find it to be quite restrictive personally in dance and um while i wear i don't choose to wear it often now i i have in the past and i found that first of all it's very heavy it, it, there's a lot of weight in all that fabric and it's not just about being weighted down but i think when the costume starts to hinder the aesthetic of the movement and of the dance form that's when there's an issue so um what i've noticed is that the beauty of the intricacy of kathak is in the torso movements and if you're if the uh, the torso itself is draped so heavily with layers and layers of fabric then what i've personally seen with other dancers my guru other dancers and myself is that when we're doing riyaz in a kurta the kind of movement that i see in their body when they're on stage i don't see that i don't see that detail or those subtleties in the torso that we work so hard to perfect we put in so much work and wo dikhta hi nahi hai on stage um whereas the male dancers they are free and so um they don't have the weight and they also don't have all that fabric so that the torso movement everything that they're doing especially in movements like meads and what not you really see everything that they're doing all the details okay and this might be a dumb question if that if, if so just let me know but um so if you had to like if you had to design a, a costume from the ground up 
to be optimized for Sekatha. Is, is that costume already, does it already exist or is there something you'd want to do to make Katha costumes optimized for movements, say? Well, I think that it already exists. I think that um, the Angraka itself is fine. And there are so many dancers today who opt to simply not wear the dubatta. And um, I'm sure that's one of the reasons. I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, who thinks this. And uh, uh, Sanjukta Sinha, the, the, uh, the dancers in Kadam uh, School of Dance are a great example of uh, costume innovation. And, uh, you know, they sometimes the women are wearing costumes that are basically uh, kurta, that's cut for the stage. So I, I personally prefer those kind of costumes. And also, um, like we were talking about earlier, the link to uh, modesty and Kathak. So uh, again, UP being the birthplace of Kathak, you know, um, it's again that privilege that I was speaking about, that there are some dancers who choose to wear the dupatta not because they want to be modest. It's because they simply like the aesthetic of a dupatta. They like the way it looks, and that's totally fine. If you want to wear it, you should you should definitely wear it. But when you go back to the root of it, say in uh, Allahabad, as we know, the origin of Kathak was in the outskirts of Allahabad. Hmm. So there, interestingly, you know, you can't go on stage in Allahabad without a dupatta. Whereas, like, like legally, or what you mean when you cannot? I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know. No, no, not not legally. I mean, there's no okay. law, but you know, okay. teachers, uh, your teachers will tell you. They'll they'll say, no, no, you know, bina dupatta ka stage pe nahi ja sakti ho, acha nahi lagta. Mm. Understood. Know, understood. Uh, yeah, and it's something that I have never seen in in that area, but yet yeah. in Delhi or other places they'll easily go. So that. Mm. Screams, you know, what is what is the reason for that? And there's also a preference between, you know, leggings and pajama. Like in Allahabad, you should mm-hmm. wear pajama instead of leggings, and you need to wear your dupatta and all this. So I think that there's, I think times have changed. I think the nature of Kathak itself is to evolve because we started dancing in a sari, you know, and then it progressed. Then we had the, during the Mughal rule, we had the Koti Yangra Plazo, which is all the Muslim, you know, costume. So if Kathak, the nature itself is to adapt and evolve. Mm-hmm. So in this time and this day and age, I think the Angra Ka itself is already covered. So we don't need to be stuck in that, you know, that Kidupatta Hmm. You mentioned Katha Kinasari. I've actually never seen one. I'll look I'll look up some videos because that's very interesting. I need a picture how that would work. So I'm gonna look that up after this. And that kind uh, and so thank you for telling uh, sharing your perspective on that and this because as a as a guy who's just started Kathak, these are things that I don't really have to consider or think about. So it's good to know that perspective for myself as well. Um, and then that kind of brings me to my next kind of uh, theme or topic. Um, when we talk about like, say, gurus or changing gurus, um, I think with, uh, it's not just Kathak, it's like different classical dance forms, art forms, and even like 
like any big hobbies or like even martial arts for that matter have this thing where there's a sense of say betrayal if you change your guru or your instructor so what is your what has your experience been with that i have quite a bit of experience with that as i um so i started my kathak journey in winnipeg and i i left my teacher simply because i moved cities so that was no issue and she's a very wonderful lady um but then when i started learning here in the city that i'm living in now um so just you know just for me i'm not going to get into it and you know we we're always respectful of the people that we we learn from but it's simply i was not progressing in that mm-hmm. situation and there there weren't any corrections given or you know attention to detail so i said okay right. it's not for me and i i found my guru in india shrimatiya urmila sharma ji so um what happened is that uh, there was a huge fallout and like you said it's uh, considered a betrayal it's not accepted no matter how respectfully you say that you know you just want to try learning with someone else or in my case i took it upon myself and said you know it's 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 a lack in my learning style in all due respect but what happened is i was blacklisted and um it was quite intense to the extent that you know emails were sent out to all the artists in the community and you know comments were made about my mental health and what not um so that you know basically do not work with her and this it's not just that it you know happened just with me but i've heard stories of it happening with other artists and i've seen it also closely that it's this idea that okay if you leave me now we're going to create a camp and i'm going to essentially try and end your career you know yes and yeah that's horrifying antadi and if you are comfortable discussing this kathak is such as like you know fairly small circle where everyone knows everyone if emails and this if, if there's this you know if there's this narrative to not if to put you out out of certain circles uh how do you bounce back from that and like in thrive in that community or what did you have to do um for me see i had a lot of people uh who were saying supportive things but i also had mm-hmm. a lot of people who were telling me you shouldn't do this because you need her and everyone is going to listen to her because you know you're nobody you're just you're right. starting out and um but I had decided from within that no um because of something that my guru had said but what I also believe is that no one has ownership over the art that's in you you know it's your you have yeah. every, you have every right to find the correct avenue that suits you to cultivate your mm-hmm. art and uh so I knew that I wasn't doing anything wrong and I had full support from my guru so I I I toughed it out and um you know what I think that in the end no matter who is saying what the people just want a good show and the organizers mm-hmm. want a good show so if you're so if you're working hard at your craft and people see that oh she's really good they're going to you know hire you despite that so yes uh there was a period probably of about a year 
that uh, I didn't have any, you know, shows and I would get a show and then I'd get a phone call that, oh, actually, you know, and um, then I'd hear from other people that, okay, this phone call was made and whatnot. So that went on. But I, I just continued to do my own thing. I continued to work hard. And when people saw that, oh, wow, you know, she's going somewhere, then I got a lot of shows after that because they just wanted their audiences to be happy. And yes, there are still uh, maybe one or two organizations who will not, you know, speak to me. And we had perfect relations, but they won't speak to me because of this individual. But it's okay because if you lose two, you have, you know, like 50 more. So I think it's just about perseverance Mm -hmm. and Um, I'm glad you stuck to your guns. It's, it's. I don't think that's an easy thing to do, to like just stick to your convictions when stuff like that happens. So when you moved to your new guru, what changes did you see in your training amidst all this going on? Oh, um, I credit my full training to uh, Urmila Ma'am. She, um, because essentially, you know, I went to India and I realized there that even my basic hastak was not correct, which mm-hmm. uh, that was the point for me that I said, no, 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 no. You know, I, the Kathak is my life. This is what I want to do. So I have to have the correct, you know, guidance. So a lot changed in my training. And I think, um, you know, Urmila Ma'am, she taught me from scratch. That's mm-hmm. what I always say. Started so quick from- question here, because uh, uh, this happens a few times. So when you started with Urmila, how many years into Kathak were you already? Uh, I was perspective. three years in. Three years, you said? Yeah. Okay, go on. Just wanted to know that. Yeah, I was, I was three years in. And uh, the huge difference in her method of teaching is that she didn't simply dance and ask you to imitate it. She would go into every detail of the movement, that inch by inch, how the movement opens, what parts of your body, for example, it's the elbow that's leading the movement or, you know, the wrist that is creating this, you know, gesture or whatnot. So uh, she really stressed, and this is the same thing that I do with my students, is that you should not be dependent on your guru or just copying your guru. You, Your guru should, in fact, give you the tools to be an independent dancer and someone who's capable of self-correcting because they have understood the structure and theory of the dance form. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. Um yeah, because uh, there's, there's certain things with that I relate to as well in the sense, I think when I started with Tanvi, there's certain things I realized about my dance form and things I had to work on as well. And uh, I recently took a uh, workshop with Reena Deirina Mehtaji. And with her, I found out that, you know, I was, my, 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 my footwork was kind of at one level, my, but my chakras were way behind. So I started working on that as well. So I guess exposure to different teachers shows you what you know and what you don't know. And what you need to work on. Yeah, exactly. Always great. And since you mentioned your students, it would be a great time to talk about your school. So, will you give us a little bit of background about your teaching practice? My teaching. So, I started teaching with the blessings of my guru. Uh, Teaching is something I wanted to do. 
possibly later down the road. But my guru, she said that, no, now you are ready. You should start mm-hmm. training students. So I started teaching and I have a very uh, dedicated group of mm-hmm. students here. And I teach not only in Montreal, but I have since COVID, I have international students because everything went online. So I have the same mode of teaching that Urmila Nam uh, instilled in me is that you need to explain not just how to do a movement, but why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're executing this movement. What is the reason behind it? And also to you know ingrain the basic movement because the basic movement, if you know exactly how to do it, why you're doing it, then you're able to copy and paste into the repertoire. And then the, the movement really flourishes there. And it also leads to accelerated uh, learning curve, which I think is really seen with uh, with my students. I also focus on theory because, again, if you know the theory, you know the tal, then mm-hmm. that's how you become independent, you know, as a as a dancer. Okay. And I think that if it helps, you already probably know this, but of all the, you're my 37 guests and of all the teachers, whenever I ask them, when you started teaching, they never feel that they're ready. And they always wanted to start teaching at a later point. And no one's ever like, I have learned enough and I will teach now. So that's, that is a common sentiment that I've seen being expressed. Um, and so uh, one thing I want to ask you, since you teach like uh, Hindustani vocals and Kathak, and a lot of that is based in Hindi and the Devanagari script. And if you get students who are kind of not well versed with that, if you have, have you had any challenges with that? If that, if so, what, what do you deal with that? I have students who do not understand Hindi. Right. Um, and some of them have come from other teachers where they have told me that the teacher would just keep speaking Hindi and they didn't have an idea what was going on. Oh. So, <laughs> So uh, thankfully, I'm fluent in Hindi and English. English is actually my first language. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem in uh, explaining in English. And mm-hmm. I think it's uh, interesting that you asked that question because one of my students was just telling me the other day, she was saying that uh, I think I'm so happy that you're able to explain in English as well. Right. So that it's comprehensible for us. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that's really important and you need to be professional and respectful of the student and their you know, learning boundaries as well. Okay. Revisiting that as well. And one, this is one of my favorite questions to ask any Kathak teachers is that to say when a student say isn't practicing or they aren't keeping up, they're kind of falling behind. How do you encourage them? What do you tell them? What kind, what is your style of doing that? I have been very lucky in the sense that um, even if some students came who are a little bit less serious, uh, mm-hmm. I think because as they've told me that uh, seeing how much I practice, they, they've all gotten on board and they feel very, you know, uh, interesting, inspired or motivated, which is so sweet of them to say. Mm-hmm. But um, see, you also have to look at the student that how seriously are they taking the dance form? Because, right. you, can't, you know, you can't enforce also that tumko roz karna hai the way that I do, because for me, dance is a profession. But for them, you know, I have some students who are older or they, they're working full time. They have 
in a different job. They have other responsibilities and, you know, schedules. So for them, uh, some are mothers, you know, with, with kids to look after. So what I say to them, and depending on what their goals are in Kathak, I would say that even if you keep a small goal, so for example, um, you know, 10 minutes before you go to bed, even if you practice for 10 minutes before going to bed and you're a beginner student in Kathak and you're taking it as, you know, not a profession, it's just something you want to learn for maybe your, your peace of mind or whatnot, then at least for 10 minutes, just, you know, go over your hastak. And you'll see that if you do that every day, then at least when you come to class, I'm not reteaching you, you know, and there's some, there is some improvement. So even though the progress will be slower, you're, they're still going to progress and they've been so happy when they follow that and they see that progress, that that motivates them to practice more because uh, I'm a psychology major at McGill. I've been studying psychology for seven years now. So from a psych- psychology point of view or background, the greatest motivator for people in learning or education is progress. So if you start to set small goals, you know, if you tell someone that you have to do this every day for the rest of your life, <laughs> then they are they're not going to do it. It feels overwhelming. So if you set small goals and they see that progress, then they themselves feel motivated to do more. I see. And how many students do you have in a batch and how frequently do you take classes? I'm teaching every day, currently, oh, wow. seven days. Every day? I'm teaching every day, but that's because uh, now I think if you take group classes online, uh, that's perfect if that works for you and you feel, you know, you can do it. But for me, uh, what my view on that is that in group classes online, everyone becomes so small that I'm I'm not able to pay attention to those small details that I like to as a teacher that I feel right. important. So right now I'm only taking uh, private classes online. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay. Group classes as I used to in person. I see. So. Understood. And has so since you're taking so many private lessons, has that been hard for you to keep up with? How's that experience been taking so many one-on-one lessons with different people? Um, I it's been very rewarding for me. I mean, I'm also a full-time student of psychology, but you know, uh, Kathak is. I think as I've mentioned, you know, it's it's everything for me. So. It just makes me happy and my students, my students have become like my small family and Mm. they're so, they're so dedicated uh, that it makes me happy, you know, to see it's like a pick me up if I'm studying all day and I take their class and I see that someone is doing well and they're, they are maybe, I don't want to say because of me, but you know, maybe You you can take credit for it a little bit. Like 10%, 15% up to you. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I well, thank you. But it's, it's like, you know, if if there was something I said or did or that made someone else or spread that passion for an art form, which, you know, I worship, then that makes me feel good that something's happening for the art form. It's And with my students, I, it's special because they feel close to me and not that other people's students don't, you know, but they feel close to me and they've, <laughs> they've often expressed that, you know, how Kathak has or learning with me has really touched their life and enhanced it. So 
I have a really special bond with them and I'm really happy with all the teaching I'm doing. That's amazing. And I'm glad you have that bond and that you're getting, you're able to get your students to practice and they, they're having a good time and they continue with you. Uh, and on that note, uh, we it's, uh, it's a good way to segue into talking about Kathak as being therapeutic because we're talking about you being a psychology major, Kathak being everything for you. It makes you feel at ease. So could you tell us a little bit about that aspect of Kathak for you? Yeah, Kathak as a, a, ty- a form of therapy. Uh, see, like I said, I'm a university student and I think it's very common amongst university students to face uh, loneliness. And uh, I've also, I faced loneliness a lot. I remember the first time I moved out and I was studying alone. Um, and I had I had come from a home environment that was quite um, uh, stressful. So when I moved uh, here to Montreal and I was alone, then um, I also, you know, as, as students tend to, I got into a relationship that was also very stressful and toxic. And it's just not a, not a you know, nice situation to be in. So um, for me, uh, when I lost that and, you know, that, that companion or that relationship also broke for me, I was really at a point in my life personally, where I was forced to realize that happiness comes from inside. And I maybe I sound really uh, cliche, but uh, it really does. And as much as it's important to have a good support system, and it is, people, people cannot always be there for you. There, you. You have to be able to draw from within. You have you have to have a source from within to draw your own satisfaction from. So I was already doing Kathak, you know, in Winnipeg. But those certain life events really jolted me and kind of, and that, and coincidentally, that was the same time that I switched gurus, you know, and now I had a team dedicated. So it all kind of came together for me and just sort of threw me into this really intensive practice of, of Kathak, where I was at the point of, you know, practicing for hours every day. So, um, yeah, I, I went into this intensive routine and uh, I found that it was so healing for me because um, it's it's as though, you know, Kathak is a sort of companion. It's a companion in the sense that it occupies your mind. When you're doing Riyadh, you don't have or focus left to think about other things. And I, I think uh, the same goes for music, you know, or other passions as well. That when you're dancing, it demands so much of your focus, 100% of it. But it's a stress relie- reliever. It's therapeutic in the sense that this is the time of your day when you're going to do riyaz and you don't have to think about all the our subjective, you know, problems that we have in our life. And um, it's also something that someone can't take away from you. Whereas a human being, you know, that relationship can end or whatnot, you know, but uh, Kathak or your, whatever your art form is, it's something that you'll always have and you're always able to draw upon it for your satisfaction, your happiness. Okay. And it's a positive uh, uh, way of releasing as well. Got you. Just a follow-up thing on that. Um, since 
I'm trying to understand this. I understand a little bit of it, but might need some clarification. So if you're talking about loneliness, uh, yeah, that, I think, I guess that kind, kind of comes from some things you need to work on yourself. But we're also social creatures. And Kathak and Riyaz are inherently like things you do on your own. So in your experience, you found that uh, you do, you crave that social element less when you're fully into your practice then? Uh, no, it's, I crave the, uh, I think, I think or, dependency on uh, oh, validation, okay. The dependency on validation or external sources for contentment and satisfaction have become less. But at the Perfect. same time, as you said, we're social creatures. So um, I, I didn't speak about this, but Kathak um, also gave me my social life. Mm, <laughs> and right. My entire um, I'm a, I'm a very introverted person, and yeah. because, through Kathak, I've gotten my students, all my friends, my teachers, my mentors, my entire support system, all my right. friends have come from Kathak. So Kathak has mm. uh, provided me with both things, actually. Understood. That's fairly relatable. So the reason I started a co- podcast, one of the reasons is that in my Katha class, in my group classes, uh, everyone else is everyone else is not in my age bracket at all, like above and below. So don't really have anyone to relate to there. And my private lessons with Tanvir are just one on one. So like my the one of the reasons I did this, I started the Katha podcast. I figured this would be a good way to like meet a lot of Kathakers and add value to their lives as well. So win win. So yeah, that kind of makes sense. And thank you for explaining that so clearly. And I think, uh, yeah, so on that note, we've already talked about acceptance of, uh, is that, so the next topic I have here is acceptance of Kathak as a classical form in the West. So that's something we've already touched upon, but is there anything else you wanted to add that you haven't already? Um, no, I think we discussed so in that note, I do, I do want to talk about, since you talked about, uh, you talk, uh, I want to talk about you as a performer because performances are such a huge part of it. We've talked about it again and again. So what are some uh, memorable performances you've had over the years? And can you share any, share any anecdotes from there? Um, hmm. I think one of my... One of my most uh, memorable performances was uh, in Utsav, a Mahotsav I did in India, actually. And the reason it was memorable is because I got to, not for my specific performance, actually, but because of the other performances that I got to witness there and learn so much, um, we had, like, the, you know, stalwarts of the Gharanas and Durga Arya Didi and, you know, all these huge names and wonderful performers so i remember watching them it was a festival that my guru organizes oh. so um anuj mishraji was there and everyone so for me it was a amazing experience to see them live and to just be in that atmosphere to be in india and you know it was such an honor to share a platform okay and how did you feel about so and did you get to talk to any of them or did you just get to watch them what was it like no, I did get to speak to them, uh, nice. a few of them. So, and they were also warm. They were very warm okay. and, and giving people. Yeah. So you're in this stage where you're surrounded by people you've looked up to and idolized for years and you have to perform as well. So what was that like for you? 
Uh, luckily, it, it was a solo performance, and mm-hmm. uh, as I said, my guru had organized the festival, so she right. was also, she was doing the forehand for me and everything. Oh, so I felt awesome. okay. It was also I, I low key. It was a bit of a nightmare because on the other side of it, my specific performance because the stage in India in that particular venue was mm-hmm. horrible. I mean, there were. It was like uh, there were nails in the stage and splinters coming up from the boards. And the nails were sticking out. Yeah, yeah, the nails were sticking out. Nails... Straight out of the movie. There's a... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Straight out of a movie. There were nails sticking up, splinters sticking out, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Um, one of the girls fell on stage because it was so uneven. And there were like bricks and whatnot, so it was it was not it was not great, and I was also sick because I was I was in India. It was winter season, so my performance maybe not the most amazing, but the experience the experience itself was great. Awesome, and the movie is the quiet a quiet place because like in one of the scenes, the lead actress steps on a nail. And in the movie is kind of a horror movie. You're not if you make any noise, the monsters come and eat you or something. So she stepped on a nail, and then that's part. That's very iconic movie. It's seen oh in the movie. And that's an exact parallel because we have to pretend like nothing is happening. And one of the girls she got a nail in her heel. In her heel. In her heel, she got a she got a nail. So um, yeah. And she just continued dancing. She no, she didn't continue dancing. She okay. went. She went off stage. Okay. Wow. Okay. Fine. That's like dancing on hard mode. It's amazing. And then I just wanted to talk. talk uh, so, and then I just wanted uh, since we talked about you as a performer, we talked about you as a teacher. Uh, yes. Uh, choreography. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because first of all, I want to know what what is disco funk. I know that I know what jazz and orchestra is, but I have no idea what disco funk is. Yeah. So um, I'm definitely not an expert on anything outside of uh, classical, but. Uh, it was interesting for me also because what the artist said she's here in Montreal that she right. does new age disco and right. uh, and she was completely fine with me choreographing you know pure kathak to the dance to the music mm-hmm. genre. So right. I said, okay. And I actually really liked her music, so I listened mm-hmm. to her, of course, before saying yes. And right. um, what I think is great about kathak is that it's so. It's such a natural and fluid way of moving that, right. and because of the tal and the diversity of the and the sophistication of the math of kathak as well, that right. you can pretty much mold kathak into any genre of music. Hmm. That is interesting, and I, I'm not just saying that because that's something that's echo. My second guest on the podcast, Rafia Ji, said the same thing, and I, I actually asked her. She, she, she actually put out a challenge to me that I can send her any song, and she'd choreograph to it as well. Um, yeah, she, she loves to do. She loves to break the boundaries and just explore new things in Kathak while still maintaining the grammar. And while we're talking about the grammar, for you, how do you decide? For you, what are the boundaries of Kathak? So when you're when you're exploring, say, choreographing something in a new genre, but you still want to maintain the the grammar of Kathak, how do you decide what is and isn't acceptable for yourself? For me, um, choreography for me is something that is relatively new, but uh, mm-hmm. I think 
one advantage I have in the sense of uh, maintaining boundaries of Kathak, if, if that those are the correct words to use, is that um, uh, I've only been trained in Kathak. That's, right. the, that's the only dance form that's in my body. Interesting. Okay. The only movement or structure that I'm thinking of just happens to be from the Kathak vocabulary. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Since that's what you know, that is what you put out. So that that literally cannot happen if you, even if you wanted it to. That's really interesting. And so then it and so in terms of so I know you're new in choreography. What what I wanted to understand, like your choreographic investigation of practice. How how does it go about that? From the point where you hear a song to the point where the dance piece is on stage. What goes on in that process for you? How do you make that happen? Um, for me, when I first started uh, choreographing, the thing that I was doing is I was basing it in the thal. So what I would do is that I would hear the, like, for example, the disco track. And I would figure out that, okay, what can be uh, the equivalent in our Hindustani classical system of thal to the in the Western song? Then um, I would actually be able to fit uh, tukras and pieces from the Kathak repertoire into these songs the way you would put it in a Tal, you know, system. But then um, I would say that in terms of choreography, I've because when I with my guru, I really explored the uh, the traditional, you know, base of Kathak and uh, traditional compositions. And I would say that since learning with Tanvir, um, the body language, uh, the uh, more exaggerated or uh, accentuated, I should say, use of the torso and the bends is something that I've now been exploring. And so I really feel that my uh, choreographic abilities have developed more since learning under him and uh, I've recently put out some bow uh, pieces on my Instagram I just put up one yesterday and uh, where I'd come up with the concept of you know uh, trying to capture the sun rays in the dance studio so um, how to use movement in a very natural way um, I've been developing since pursuing my mentorship under Tanvir and uh, maybe I, I'll just, if it's not a tangent, you know, I'll say that. Uh, this is your episode. Nothing's a tangent if it's about you. So um, if I, even if I talk about uh, how, you know, then uh, my guru, having learned from Pandit Birju Maharajji, style of bhav, for example, there was a Tumri Maguroko Nare Samaria. So um, his style of bhav is almost, you know, like giving every word a gesture or describing every word in some way and really basing it usually on divinity, Radha Krishna, Radha, this sort of thing. So um, uh, the first piece that I did with Tanvir actually um, was the Ghazal, Ajdane Ki Zidna Karo. So he decided to interpret this Ghazal uh, uh, like he was saying, that there are many ways you can interpret it. You know, you can do a Radha Krishna interpretation as well. Or you can do like uh, the interpretation of a courtesan or whatever. But uh, he decided to interpret it on a very human level in the sense of, you know, a normal, just our, just like us, you know, normal uh, woman and man and uh, or 
two lovers, two lovers. And so uh, it, it was so, it was a completely different style of bhao than I was used to because it wasn't about uh, using gestures to depict each word, which is all beautiful, but it was more of taking a phrase um, and understanding how to even use one gesture to, to throughout a, an entire phrase and just depict an emotion or just even sitting still and just using a smile, you know, to depict an entire an entire thought or entire lyrics of the of the portion of a ghazal. So it's through, uh, you know, like you said, through different teachers, we open up and we experience different ideas. And I think um, the more that we do that, and my guru is super encouraging of this. She's, you should definitely, you know, learn learn a tukra from, from this person, that person, expand your repertoire. And I think it's from that expansion and from those different teachers and uh, uh, ways, avenues of learning that we grow as a, as a choreographer and we're able to create our own thing. Okay, and uh, just a quick note since you mentioned your mentorship, how did that uh, how did that mentorship come to be? How did that happen? Um, so I I believe uh, Tanvir, I I think we were already connected on Instagram, if I'm not mm-hmm. wrong. But right. uh, I knew about Tanvir because he also used to learn under my teacher who was here in this city in Montreal, and so I already knew of him. And uh, like I said, I believe we had connected on Instagram. But the first time that I met him uh, was he did a show that was uh, right near my building, actually, because I'm in downtown Montreal and all sorts of shows happen here. So I went to see his show. And after the show, I went and introduced myself. And he was so sweet. I was so uh, socially inept. (laughs) But uh, he was unshy. But he was very sweet and welcoming. And uh, the next time he was in Montreal, uh, he contacted me that let's do Riaz together. So that's how we, you know, formed a, a friendship. And uh, then I asked him to choreograph the ghazal for me. And right. so we did that. And it had such a great um, response from the audience. And I think what is great is that every time he choreographed something and I executed it has the greatest response, you know, out of the mm-hmm. many things that I do. Right. So choreographed the ghazal and he was really happy and the audience was really happy. And he's like, you have to join, you know, classes now. And um, I started and that was really that's been the light of my, uh, you know, quarantine or time in the pandemic that right. I'm not able to go to India to my guru. I was freaking out. And uh, I'm so happy that I've been able to take classes with him and, you know, keep keep growing. Okay. And kind of brings me to my next question, which is more of a practical question. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I do private lessons with Tanvir and I do group lessons with Anindadi, Dr. Anindas in Indiana. So say, you know, your teacher, like both both of them will teach you, say, the Hastaks in a different way, right? Like Urza Madhat, Tala, they'll have their different ways of doing it. So do you face an issue of like being a little confused as to this person is teaching you this movement in a particular way, this other person is teaching you in a particular way and keeping those separate and together? And How do you deal with that? Yeah, so um, luckily because we're from the same gharana and all, it's... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of overlap. It's it's yep. but um, there we were just working on a movement like uh, uh-huh. 
Diga Diga the Alingan uh, has stuck. And uh, my guru also, she was so specific that it's been ingrained in me to such a level that if, if say, if Tanvir is teaching me a new movement that's added to my vocabulary, right. I found, uh, what I feel is that I am able to pick it up better than if it's a movement that I've already learned in a different way. Because then I have to get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to fight. I have to fight muscle memory. And uh, like he says, and like it's just, you know, a fact that uh, it's great to know different ways of executing one movement because you're, it's simply, even as a choreographer, it gives you different options. Right. Okay. That kind of helps because uh, yeah for me i have to like as a student i just have to keep it straight like in this class this is the hashtag in this class this is the hashtag sometimes they get mixed but they're fine with it but and the kind so since we talked about choreography would like to discuss you you mentioned on your bio about giving lectures in kathak uh could you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what that experience has been like Um, I so I was performing a lot. I started performing quite frequently, and um, just as I started performing, and as the uh, members of our classical community here in the city uh, started to take notice of me, and you know, gradually I started to gain uh, mm-hmm. respect in the community. Then, right. um, so if they had a workshop series or a lecture series, then uh, through those. Uh, connections you know they would say oh you know she does really well we'll call her and for me I mean in terms of connections like I said I'm a very introverted person and I haven't my family is completely science background I haven't been you know blessed with being connected or getting you know shows through that you know avenue but um, like I said just with you know continued work eventually eventually if you're doing your work with integrity, you know, people, people begin to take notice. So that's how I started doing uh, lectures on Gathag. And what was your audience like when you were doing these lectures? Who were you, lect- who, who, who were you presenting to? Uh, I did one for the Kabir Center recently. Um, and okay. so the theme was, uh, the theme was demystifying uh, South Asian dance classical classical forms be it dance or music or instruments mm-hmm. um audiences who aren't aware of them so and another lecture that i did was for a music camp um <clears throat> and these were all uh, non-indian students who were uh learning western classical music and uh, they were doing a series on india and classical music in india So they had called me as a Kathak dancer to educate their students in uh, India's classical discipline. So uh, oftentimes when I've lectured on Kathak, it's been in the sense of uh, exposing Kathak or educating people in the rudiments of Kathak who have never been exposed to the dance form before. I, I talked to a lot of Kathakers who've performers, dancers, administrators, but not a whole lot who've done lecturing. I have had a few. But is that something you think you how what has the, how have you felt about lecturing? What has the reception been like? And do you think you'd continue doing more of this in the future? Well, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I I would definitely love to do more in the future. I think um, 
you know, one of my goals in Kathak is uh, I would like to educate people to whatever extent I can um, about Kathak. And I think as we spoke in the beginning of the conversation that uh, a lot of people are not aware of Kathak, especially in the West. And since I'm in Canada, you know, and have experienced an ignorance surrounding Kathak or simply an unawareness, they've never even heard the name of the dance form before. And that's something that's always saddened me. So um, I would love to get the name of the form out there more, what it's about. So lecturing is something you could say I'm, I'm passionate about and would love to do. The response has always been very nice. Awesome. Uh, yeah, would love to see more of that. And if you have any videos of your lectures, I would love to see that as well. Um, and kind of brings me to my... Because well, the thing is that I've, done, I've tried to do one presentation on Kathak. This is totally not on the same scale at all. We were trying to present Kathak to like a group of five or six years old to a school. And just trying to talk about Kathak seemed like such a huge thing for me. And just like what I know, what I don't know and presenting that. So it's very interesting to be able to take those complicated terms and complicated art form and distill it down to an audience while still maintaining the integrity of it. Uh, and that kind of brings me to my final question, Nainthadi. So since you are teaching, dancing, choreographing, performing, and you're kind of in it for now and you're doing it this seven days a week, like you said. So what would you, when it comes to like making an, an impact and leaving a legacy on Kathak, what would what would that be for you? Um, in respect to my, I guess that would be my goals in Kathak. Right. So, uh, like I uh, just mentioned, it would be um, trying to get more exposure for Kathak in the West and exposure in the sense of proper exposure that the dance form is... Um, you know, the dance form, I would like to see it represented in more spaces in the West than it is now. I would like it to have an increased visibility. Um, I would like uh, a huge goal of mine is Kathak education because to be very frank, I've been often disappointed in the way that I've seen Kathak being taught, especially uh, in Canada. So, um for me, it's very important that the students that I'm teaching, regardless of their goal in Kathak, so okay. in, in the sense that um, if someone comes to me and uh, she, like, for uh, for example, um, I have one student and, you know, she she's a mother and she she just said that, you know, I just want to learn something for my, of my own. And she doesn't know what, she didn't know what is Kathak or anything. But right. that doesn't mean that, and this is also, it's unprofessional, you know. Right. I've seen this so often, is that I'm not going to say, oh, okay, well, you know, you're not going to be a performer. That's not what you want to do. Or that's, I'm just going to teach you. Uh, with less detail than I would, or less, um, how do you say, less meticulousness than I would teach another student, you know? So um, I teach, that's all to say that I teach every student with the same dedication, regardless of, uh, regardless of their background. 
And um, what I've seen, which has been really lovely, is that people who have come to me uh, and seen Kathak as just, you know, oh, it's a social activity or it's a way for me to, you know, be in a social environment or a group class or whatnot, that um, when by teaching with dedication, what happens is that the student uh, sees themselves in the mirror moving in a way that is graceful, that is beautiful, and that enhances their self-concept. So those same students who may have come with a less serious approach, within a month or a few weeks, they're sending me videos uh, of notes that they've taken in their notebook about their corrections in Kathak. They're sending me videos of the Tihais and whatnot that they're practicing. Right. And, um, because that it's that self-concept, which I think we've touched on multiple times and to come back right. again. And that isn't that the beauty of classical dance. That's why we use... Uh, classical dance as a such a reservoir of confidence for young girls and young and boys that um, to see yourself dance in a beautiful disciplined way is itself a motivation okay that's going to take me a second to wrap my head around but it's a beautiful sentiment, Anidadi. Uh, thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, I love the way you talk about Kathak and everything you've faced and you're still here. Yeah, and I'm glad we did this. Thank you so much for uh, asking me. And I love, uh, I, as I told you, I love your initiative. I've been listening to all the things you're posting on Instagram. And what I specifically loved about it is that the issues that are coming up are so rare. Some of, even I'm learning. I'm hearing about things that other dancers are saying, and you've brought together dancers from all over the world. So we have global perspectives, and it's so great that you're doing this and opening up conversations. <laughs>